we're going to reflect on this meaning of Palm Sunday today. This is an amazing week. It's uh, it's absolutely unique. It's uh, a, a week like no other. God speaks. There are many, many gods in the world. There are many, many claims to God. And human beings actually have been created by God to worship a God. And when they don't meet the real God, they create their own gods. And they, cre- they will worship something. Some people worship Holly Davidson. They will worship something. Their job, sex, drugs, something. Because it's in the human being's DNA to find something to worship. Some people worship themselves for a while. And when you create your own God, the thing is that you go and you do what you think you need to do to keep that God God happy. And then you go to that God and you ask that God for things and to keep you happy. And you ask that God to do things. And and it's dead words. And this week we're talking about the, the audacious claim of somebody who said, if you want to know God, then look at me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God who I reveal as Father. God is not an it. God is not a she. God is a he. God is a father. God is Jesus. I declare that in this place. God is not vague. God is not a sentiment. God is not whatever you want to believe. God is revealed in Jesus as a father. God is revealed in Jesus as a loving God. One who contends for you and me. Just as Michael was talking about men contending for their marriages and their wives as Christ contends for the church. This week we are given the opportunity to see the heart of God as he contends for us. And some of us here might feel, you know, nobody's ever on my side. Some of us might feel nobody contends for me. I don't know what it's like to have a parent to contend for me because they were dysfunctional. I don't know what it's like to have anybody contend for me because it's just not been my experience, some of you might say. And this morning we are reminded again that God speaks to us and says, I contend for you. You see, the thing about Jesus is that he is a God who speaks back. And the the reason why human beings struggle with a God who speaks back is because then I have to listen. I would rather create God in my own image or I'd rather create God according to my own paradigms so that at least when that God speaks back, he agrees with me. And all of us have within us the capacity to take even Jesus and his words and create them and design them and manicure them and caress them into an image that calls us good and keeps him tame. And we always have that capacity to dumb down God so that he becomes what we want him to be. It's the spirit of religion that lives in everyone and is capable of even taking what Jesus did on the cross and making it a ritual. And unless we're aware of our capacity to do that, we will find ourselves blindsided and we will find that this thing called following Jesus becomes dead because he speaks. He's living. What's the problem with him speaking and him being living? 
I want to hear him say how he loves me. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear him say, son, daughter, you are my much loved. But there are times in every love relationship where he also comes and says, we need to talk. For many of us, our relationship with God is lived under the falseness of that kind of conversation with, if God ever wants to talk to me, it's going to be to correct me. It's going to be to chastise me. It's going to be to to cause me to have to do something. And that's why the beginning of God always starts with love. And out of that comes direction or correction. And so I want to look this morning at how Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's the first time in three years where he's actually allowed people to worship him. Most of the time when there's been revelation that he's Messiah or he's something special, he says, just leave it be for now. In theological terms, they call it the messianic secret. Why doesn't he say, just go out and tell everybody? Because there's a timing. So let's look at this uh, in Luke Jesus' journey to the cross, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. Bethphage and Bethany are over the crest of the hill, so if you go there, it's where um, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, lived. And when, you, when you're around the region of their house, you can't actually see Jerusalem. Um, and then you, you, you come about maybe a quarter of a mile from where they lived and you crest the hill and, and Jerusalem just light. It's one of the most beautiful sights in the world. You just come over that crest and there's this. You come down the Mount of Olives and 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 Jerusalem just lies before you. You can still do that. And uh, Jesus came down that. He had, he had asked for the colt and uh, the colt and he sat on the back of the donkey of the colt. And you know the story about the donkey. Donkey goes through the crowd to Jerusalem and he said, it's amazing, everybody was applauding me. I mean, I've never had such attention. They were applauding me all the way into Jerusalem until somebody said, it wasn't you, it was what you were carrying. It's a metaphor for our lives, actually. But there was this response of worship to Jesus. Thinking about these little palm crosses uh, coming from North Africa. Imagine being in North Africa with nothing virtually except palm trees and these things die and there's nothing left and somebody says, why don't you take a a leaf that is going to die and turn it into something like a cross and it will create income for your community. There's something about the Christian message in it. God takes dead things, God takes useless things and God makes something of them. And they always are made something of because of his death and his resurrection. God speaks life all the time. So some of you need to hear that today. He speaks life. No matter what death is around, there is life. And you have Jesus coming down this pathway to Jerusalem and looks over Jerusalem and he... uh, the people have, have been praising him. Hosanna, here he comes. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the people are, are sort of so excited. He comes on a colt. He doesn't come on a white horse. A white horse is the way that the conquering generals used to come back into the cities. He comes on a colt, which is insignificant. It's a, it's a sign of peace, not violence. 
and they're all saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Kings. He's coming, and their great anticipation, we say it all the time, is he's going to actually change our circumstances. The Romans are going to be defeated, and we're going to be able to live free. And he comes to the halfway down, and he looks across, and then he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. It's one of the most powerful, poignant utterances, I think, in the New Testament. How I long, he, he, in some other place, he says, How I long that you would come to me. Like a chicken gathers her, her hens, but her, her, a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. And he says this, and uh, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. How's that for contending? If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You know, it's easy to think about a God who contends for you, and he just, uh, God will do it for you, and he says, I can't. I can't do it for you. I can do it with you. You say, well, he's God. Why doesn't he just appear and do something amazing over Jerusalem and then everybody would believe and then it would be cool. And he goes, because he doesn't do it like that. He doesn't force things. He's a relational God. And he gives you choices. And then many times, do you remember they said, Jesus, we didn't recognize you. One of the most sobering things, if you'd only recognized. Lord, if you, we had known it was you asking for us a drink, we would give it to you. If we'd only known, but we walked past because we thought he was an idiot. He was someone of no consequence. If I'd known it was you, Jesus, I would have done it. And he says, no, you missed the point. If you did it for him, you did it for me. Because he's my son. I contend for you. So I rode into Jerusalem as I ride in and, and I, he weeps over Jerusalem. If, I, if you had only known. And so you will instead become ruins. You'll be dashed. And 40 years later, AD 70, 70, 73, 74, 75, Jerusalem was sacked. You go to Jerusalem, you go to the temple. And Jesus had said this temple will be destroyed. You go to the temple and it is these massive, massive blocks. They're from, say, from here to the wall and twice by height. And it's all just shattered. You wouldn't believe such big structure could be destroyed so powerfully, but he said it would be destroyed. What's being held in tension is the power of God, the authority of God, that I am God and this God who contends for the weakest of the weak. How I long that you would come. But you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I'm going to read a little further because when Jesus enters the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. The people heard something that the priests didn't hear. And if Jesus had come into Jerusalem on that donkey and just accepted their praises and stopped there, it would have been cool. The problem with God is he doesn't know when to shut up. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's an interesting, you know, as you read scriptures, it's very, 
It's very easy to take scriptures and tunnel down into one verse and then you say, this is what this verse means and, and you actually miss it because the scriptures have a way of intertw- intertwining and interweaving and the way these guys wrote them, sometimes it's wonderful to see. I never saw that and now I see that. For instance, I, I, I wonder if you've ever seen this. If you flip back to Luke chapter 19, well, it's actually at the beginning of the same chapter, what do you have? You have Jesus entering Jericho, which is down the hill from Jerusalem. And when Jesus enters Jericho, what happens? Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, money changer, very wealthy, he wants to see Jesus. And Jesus uh, spots him up. uh, He's very unpopular. He's not somebody anybody wants to be with. And Jesus spots him up the tree and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And everybody around says, why on earth would you go to Zacchaeus' house? He's ripped us all off. We hate him because he works with the Romans. And all he is is about his money. And so Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And he goes to Zacchaeus' house. And as he has a meal with him, Zacchaeus has a total transformation of heart. And he falls down virtually and he says, I will give away everything I've made because I, I have cheated people. Now if you flip between Zacchaeus' response and going into the temple, it's a total opposite. When Jesus went into his father's house, they wanted to kick him out because he was confronting them with a very deep evil in the house, which was money is thou God. And what we're going to do around this house is we're going to create a whole lot of opportunities for people to buy our product so that they can support our house. And we're also going to exploit them. And we're going to make a profit off them. And that's why Jesus turned off the tables. He said, my house will not be used to exploit people. He might turn over many, many tables in North American houses where exploitation under the guise of ministry, happens all the time. And the temples that are built to honor the people who do the ministry is a shame. So on this Palm Sunday, you have this Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the place that he loves, the city that he loves, God's heart in Jerusalem. And he goes to the center of it, into his house. It's built, meant to be built for his honor. And the problem with God is he doesn't know how to shut up. He doesn't know when to stop speaking. And the problem with God is if he only stopped speaking, we'd continue to praise him. But because he speaks, we stop praising him. Because he challenges us. Because we want him to be God as we created him to be and he wants to be God as he is. And there's not room for more than one. If you want to create God in your own image, you will have a whole fuzzy center of who God is. But if you want to know who God is as he is revealed, he is Jesus. And that's why Jesus goes to the cross on Good Friday. He's contending for you and for me, whether we know it, like it, believe it or not. It's the audacious, outrageous, love of God who says even though you kill me I will die for you that one day you might get a revelation one day 
you might have your eyes opened. One day you might see what you don't see now. The most frightening thing is you didn't realize what was in front of you. What if God's speaking right now? What happens if he speaks to you and to me in ways that we didn't anticipate? Do we have ears to hear? What if we're complaining about what God isn't doing and we're so busy in complaining that we've forgotten to actually touch base with who is this God who I'm talking to right now? Is he a distortion of Jesus? It's Jesus plus my own little, little sort of I've tacked on this part so that Jesus becomes that and he's like, no, I'm not that. I am rooted in this, the word. And so what I think we see most powerfully in this Jesus going into Jerusalem is the contrast between God's outrageous love and human, human love. And what you see in this week is the fickleness of human beings. How we worship and we want and we welcome and then it doesn't work out and we leave and eventually we crucify. It's not just them. The journey of Jesus into Jerusalem is the journey of Jesus into us. We all know what that's like. Jesus, I gave my life to you. I thank you that you can, you know, you've got a lovely plan for my life, yada, yada, yada. And two weeks later, well, I didn't think it was going to be like this. So I used to believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in him anymore because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. It was really disappointing. And I don't believe to be a Christian you need to. Fill in the blank. What's your blank? Where does it get offensive? Where does Jesus come too close and you decide, no, he's not having that part, so I'm just not believing that. See, if God is God and he's Lord of all, he can have a conversation about anything. There's nothing off limits. And if my heart is really open to God, I'm interested to know what he wants to say. Because I've already come to terms with the fact that I am very flawed, very limited and very blind and deaf on many occasions. Does it make sense? I'm not saying you might like this. Actually, we should like it. The reason is because he is incredibly trustworthy and he is a very, very good. And he, he adores you. And if, if that reality is at the core of who we are, or at least it's what we're striving for, or we're asking God, Lord, I want to know your love, then he will have the other conversations and we'll be saying, I want to hear what you want to say. Because what doesn't please you in me, I want to yield. Or at least I want to want to. Because what we have when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, in fact, all the way through, but as he goes into Jerusalem, you, he, there's one moment in Gethsemane where he goes, let this cup pass from me. An authentic moment of a human just going, I don't want to deal with this pain. I don't want to carry this pain. But your will be done. So he yields again. All his disciples, all his friends, yeah, we're with you, we're with you, we're with you, we're with you, will resound through this week. There'll be more hosannas. We're with you from Peter and all the, his buddies until the Germans come 
I mean, t- Germans, till t- the Romans come. <laughs> Until the Romans come. Or whoever it is that might be our oppressors. It's not that funny. Who, the, who, 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 are, your, who are the Romans in your life? What, what imprisons you? What threatens you? Until they come and then everybody scatters. This is a really, really important truth. This is very, very important. I want, to, I want us to hear this really, really strongly because some of us are stuck because we're stubborn and we're deaf and we're willful. And we're stuck because what you have in this week is the fickleness of humanity that picks and chooses and cherry picks what I want from Jesus and if I don't get it, I sulk and it, and it goes on and on and on. And that's all of us at different points. It's not an accusation, it's a confession. Just what we're capable of. But beneath that and above that and around that and in the midst of that is this Jesus who resolutely goes to the cross. Because if Jesus was fickle, he might have said on Friday, "Ah, I'm not ready yet. I don't feel comfortable with this. Um, I promised John we would go to the market on Sunday. And Mary wanted me to, to help her with something. And then somebody phoned yesterday and they said, can I do this? Let's cancel the crucifixion. Let's do it some other time. I'm kind of not happy with this. It doesn't feel right, Lord. Because, Lord, your favor is upon me. So it must mean that everything's going to work out well. It can't mean there's going to be suffering. It can't mean there's going to be sacrifice. It can't mean there's going to be pain. But Jesus said, I only do what my father tells me to do. And he's already completely committed to that. So he walks in a straight line virtually without wavering, without changing his voice, without changing his direction. Through all of the fickleness around him, he remains resolute. He remains courageous. He remains focused. And what we have revealed to us is the love of the Father that doesn't back off from hard truth and hard circumstances, lays down his life because he's contending for you to the point of death. So Jesus is at 33 years old, unmarried, no children, desiring those things as a man, gives them up for you. I will deny myself the pleasures of being human so that you can know the reality of the love of my Father for you. Don't say nobody's contending for you and don't say nobody cares because at a particular time in history God came for each of us and laid down his life. And what irritates him more than anything else when he speaks back is he says, I didn't lay down my life so you'd spend all your life at the cross. I laid down my life so that you would receive life beyond the cross. But unless you know the cross, you won't step into something beyond. Why would God contend for you and for me? Because of his love, just like you would contend for your children. I'm not telling you anything new this morning. The one thing we can't do is that, you know, we can worship Jesus and say, hallelujah, Jesus, today, and then tomorrow something happens and we kind of mess up. And you can, I, I've tried, I, I was just remembering a really simple example of when I was a young boy, probably uh, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. I had this uncle, Paul, 
and he was a son of a German guy and uh, he was very uh, fastidious. He, he, everything was neat and tidy. He smoked cigarettes neatly and tidily and, and he, everything was immaculate except his personal life was chaos. He eventually divorced my aunt and it was a second marriage and he was a very strange character on one level. But the thing that always impressed me was how, how he tidy he was. So I'd go and st- maybe spend a day or two with them my aunt and uncle from time to time and I would always come home and tidy my room and kind of go, I'm going to be like Paul, Uncle Paul. And it lasted about three days. You know, I just couldn't sustain it. And I think so many things in the life is like that. I can't sustain the stuff that I want to do. And it might even be the wrong thing I'm trying to sustain anyway. And so Jesus comes in to this world and he says, I am the one who is trustworthy, not your performance. What do I mean by that? I mean that when I see Jesus going resolutely into Jerusalem and going resolutely to the cross, I just go, there's a rock. Because I look at the human beings around him and I go, that's not, that's house and sand stuff. That's not reliable. And I look in the mirror and go, that's not reliable either. And you remember when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he says, upon that rock, And I really, really respectfully believe that the Catholic Church has got it totally wrong. Because Jesus did not say upon the rock of Peter. He said upon the rock of the statement, Jesus is the son of the Messiah. He is the Messiah, the son of the living God. That is the rock. The identity of Jesus and the revelation of who Jesus is is what will change your life, my life and the world. And Peter didn't even believe he was the rock because when he wrote in his own letters, he said, we are living stones and he is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock. And what people eventually and the disciples eventually, because around the cross they scattered, they scattered like little pebbles because they didn't have the ability to stand in the face of the conflict and the violence and the lack of, this doesn't make any sense. And we will all go through times in our lives when it doesn't make any sense. It's disillusioning and I am so disappointed with God. And it's at those times we not only need one another, we need to come back to who is God. He is the one revealed in Jesus. That's why I need to read his word. And I need to humble myself. Why does God say sex before marriage is wrong? Why does God say living outside of marriage together is wrong? Not to kill our lives, but actually because he says you will get life as you actually submit to how I created you to be. And we say it's an offense because I have a right to decide whether I'm going to be gay or lesbian or transsexual or transgender. And you want to know what the chaos of our world is right now? Is we have a false god in Islam that's very clear about what it believes and a Western world that hasn't a clue what it believes and says anything goes. Chaos theory is wonderful and what you're seeing is nothing is working out. And you know who's responsible for that while I preach it? We are because the Christians have been so cowardly we've actually forfeited our inheritance and now we blame everybody. So we are the ones to repent. We are the ones to repent. We're too scared to stand up. We're too, we're too preoccupied to go out and do anything for Jesus so everybody else does things and then we blame them and then we go, why is the world becoming like this? And they say, 
Because you think God came so that you can just have a beautiful life and do nothing for anybody. I wasn't planning to say this, I'm sorry. No, oh grief, you guys, you just like a little butt of man. But why I, I guess why I end up saying it is that us is always, them is always us. This is not pointing fingers out there. It's saying, Lord, the revelation of your spirit in my heart is that I need to say, forgive me. If Jesus is so good, then why is it so difficult to do the slightest thing for him? If Jesus is so good and he's the revelation of the world, why don't we have half the commitment of an ISIS guy who goes half the way across the world and says, I'm doing this because this is what I believe? Well, I don't have time. So what are you really asking God for? All I ask God for is, Lord, create in me a hunger and a passion. That's what I want. More hunger and passion. And he gives it to you bit by bit. And so much of the time, Lord, give me eyes to see so that you don't have to say to me, you did not realize. You see, all of us, God is working. God is working and speaking to every single person here. Every single day. Every single day. You, he is passionately calling out to you. He's passionately speaking to you. He's passionately trying to get through to you or he's wanting to move on. And for some of us, we've just got these paradigms where he can't speak like this, he doesn't speak like this, he doesn't work like that, so we don't hear him. And others of us, we've just closed down a lot of conversations. We've just made decisions. How are we going to survive? Or this is what I believe. And we've actually shrunk God down into something really small. And so we, we die because the living God is much bigger than that. Why we need one another. We need friendships and relationships where we can talk about, do you think God's saying this? I mean, one of the things I detest is people who just come in and declare what God is doing without any references or humility to test it. Because half the time it's wrong. So humility is a huge part of just communicating. God is communicating, 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 relationship, relationship, relationship. Paul says, I only saw it partially. And if Paul only saw things partially, then I need help. But the revelation is that he loves, he cares, he has purpose for life. And he is our rock. And there will come many times in our lives, and I'm winding down now, there will come many times in our lives when he comes into the temple that is us and he turns over a table because of something that he wants to change in us and we will get offended and we will get offended because the person who's doing that offends us. And we need to learn how to say, Lord, help me to be open to whoever you want to use to bring about transformation in my life. I want to lay down all these things that I've erected that you have to, you can't get through. And in Christian circles, there are many of them. I don't know what they are for you. All I'm saying in all of this is this week is about a God who lives, speaks, who contends, who offends. And the people he most offends are the religious people, the spiritual people. And so perhaps we can just say, Father, I know that I am a work in progress. I know that I have this aspect of you somewhat pulsating in me, but I want to know the fullness of you. So 
Lord, whatever there is in me that you still want to work out, and he's going to have that for the rest of our lives, so we might as well not think we're going to arrive at any time. We're on this journey, and he's going to keep on working in us and working through us. But this world is hungry for people who are sold out to Jesus with love and passion and humility. And they're, so, they're, they're hungry for people who will just serve unconditionally, who will ride on colts, not on sleek horses with John Cox ministry on the side saddle. People who, who basically just say, Jesus, I just want to serve you. Happy Easter. God is the one who is the cornerstone in Jesus revealed. I'm going to finish with... And remember, uh, and the, this is also the one in Deuteronomy 31. He says to the, 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 the guys who have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and Joshua is about to be the leader to go into the promised land. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So if you don't know and feel the presence of God in your life right now, it's not him. Because he's promised to never leave you or forsake you. So the humble response then is, why am, I not, why am I not aware of you? And the second question that will come behind that will be, who do you say that I am? Well, I think you're this. And he goes, no, not me. Well, who are you? I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And I have contended to you to the point of death. And so the writer in Hebrews says this. So I finish. So the thing that so inspires me this morning with this uh, walk into Jerusalem is it is incredible privilege to have a God like this. It is an incredible privilege to know a God who contends like he does. To, to, to consider the heart of a father who weeps over me. To consider a heart of a father who because of my own disobedience and my own rebellion doesn't stop going to the cross because I'm not worth it. I've disappointed him. To consider the heart of a God who says it's precisely because of your inability to fulfill my promises yourself that I've sent my son that his promises will come alive in you as I live in you. He first loved us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our shield. He is our life. And it cost him everything. And so instead, of, I pray over this, over this Easter season, instead of being defensive, instead of going, oh, ho-hum, here we go again, we gather together in this church for a potluck on, on Monday, Thursday, which is just a way to remember that Jesus went to the cross, the way that he sh sat around and shared with his disciples in the Last Supper. And the reason we do that, and then we meet with the ministerial is going to meet here for the first time in many, many years. Um, it's part of, I believe, what God is healing in us um, for Good Friday at 10.30. And the reason we do that is to remember the cross 
And the reason we do that is because Easter has no meaning if it has no depth. And our lives have no meaning if we don't go to the cross. Our following Jesus has no meaning if there's no blood. Our our joy in Jesus will be very shallow if we haven't gone deep with Jesus as well. In other words, I just know my capacity to go in the wrong direction. So I need his presence all the time. I need him to be correcting me. I need him to be helping me. So let's stand and just ask him to do in us what we can't do in ourselves. What do you want to give him? Jesus, we just bless you for the gift of who you are. And the reason we stand is just so that we do something. You know, it's, it's, it's a sort of position. And then notice, just, this is just a meditation, notice your own heart right now. Do you engage or are you disengage? Do you kind of, and this is not an accusation, it's an invitation, but do you engage? Because Jesus is here right now. Jesus is talking to us. And we don't recognize the time because often we're always putting it off. Like, I'll do this when I'm on my own. I get distracted with lots of people. No, it's now. And he says, first of all, that his love is sufficient for everyone here. He always starts by calling his, your name. He always starts by saying, I see you, Zacchaeus up a tree. I see you wherever you are. What's it like to be seen by Jesus right now? Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus really inconveniently because it, 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 it exposed the darkest part of who he was. And Jesus said, can I come to your house for supper? And Jesus says to you, and he sees everything about you. He sees the darkest part of you, the most unresolved part of you. And he says, can I come home with you? Can I come to your house for supper? And as you invite me in, the revelation will be worked out. Are you able to wave palm branches this morning or are they on the ground and you're just disappointed? Or are you offended? Are you offended because some of the things he wants to talk about are pet things of yours. They're deep held beliefs that are being challenged. Father, I ask that nothing that we believe we would hold on to so tightly that we wouldn't allow you to examine it with us. Come Holy Spirit. I ask for revelation this morning of truth. I ask for transformation of mindsets in the name of Jesus. And I break any spiritual bondage in mindsets in the name of Jesus this morning. Wherever the enemy is trying to hold us prisoner to old mindsets or half-truths, I break them in the name of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. And as we stand here together, it is each of our privileges and each of our choices as to whether we actually receive. Yes, Lord, if there's anything in me where my mind says, then I ask you to change it. That's your response.